0: Welcome to Insurance Happy Hour. I'm Laird. I'm Becky. And we're here just another week doing this. Seems like it's, uh went off pretty well last time. I think so. Yeah, I think so as well. What have you been up to this week? Lots of meetings. Lots of work. <laughs> lots of meetings. Well, did uh, did you have a chance to see this? I uh, I got something in the office today. I signed it. I know, I know. So you obviously did see it, I did. It's, but uh, this is pretty cool. It uh, turns out I've been working at ITC for 10 years. This time around. This time around, exactly. You, know, you have another, you tack on another six in the beginning, then there's a seven-year gap where I was off exploring the world, you know, doing those types of things. Came back for yet another 10 years. This is pretty cool. Do you see the whole thing signed and framed and everything? I did. It's very nice notice that uh, a lot of the uh, it says 10 years for so people can't see it you probably see it on uh, twitter here shortly is that uh, all the letters are actually made up like you know a kidnap ransom note however it looks like they used uh, images from around the office cuz uh, i could yeah they did yeah
1: you can see it's probably from the one of the name tags on my office that y
0: there correct yes is definitely from a uh, one of our printers and then the uh, r is uh, from our old old name badges that we used to have up here on our on our doors so Where did they find those? Peter actually collects a, a whole thing of them he has all of them as people left and he has like quite a few of them I still have mine but I took mine home because mine was special <laughs> uh, our old. Uh, our old uh, HR person actually created special ones for me because I kept every – oh, come on. You know how I'd be, I'd be like, I want it to say this. I want to say that. <laughs> so every year I, I seem to have a brand new one. Yeah. But that's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. Congratulations. Ten years. Ten years. <laughs> well, it, it's uh, – do you, do you go – all right. What, what anniversary is Ten. Ten, I think. Ten, I know. Like T I N. Yeah, I know, but you know, Oh, it's ten. Like the the actual ten. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, don't quote me on that. I think I was, was going to go. Was like, if it was something cool, I was going to go like you know do it for myself. But I, I, with ten, I guess I'll go watch that movie, Pushing Ten or something. It's <laughs> a good movie. Yeah. Well, there's been a there's been a lot of talk in insurance this week.
1: Yes, there has been. We, you, and I had gone back and forth about all this subject matter that we could talk about, and it was hard narrowing it down to one. Yeah,
0: it's uh, it's, and you know, one of the things that I, I I hope to explore with this podcast is to actually go through and see multiple ones throughout t- time as a morph, like talk about the same stories and all of that as as we're going through this. Absolutely. Yeah, and so let's uh. Let's go ahead and get started.
1: So I have a question for you. Go for it. How do you feel insurance companies are at collecting data?
0: Fantastic. I mean, insurance is about data. It's uh, how many claims, how many... Uh, how you pay your loss history, your, um, anywhere from your credit score to your driving record, all of that is factors that go into it. And that's just the uh, personal lines. You know, you start talking about life and annuities and everything else. I mean, they're really just data-driven companies.
1: Well, Daniel Schreiber, the CEO and co-founder of Lemonade disagrees with you.
0: Really? What What
1: does he say? He says that, um, the loss ratio, which is the gold standard insurance metric, he calls it, uh-huh. is no substitute for deep, textured, and rich data, which insurance companies are ill-equipped
0: to collect. I think that they're actually collecting the data. That's the, that's the first rub is they do collect that data now. It's maybe the question is what are they doing with that data that is the better asked question.
1: That's probably what he's missing from this article I found on insurance.leadership about why AI will eat insurance and how. Is he's he's looking at at it from the wrong perspective. They have a ton of data. They're just not doing a lot with it.
0: Yeah, and you know, in our discussions with a lot of the insurance carriers out there, we're actually hearing from them going, "We have this gobs of data. We're just trying to understand how to do it." Uh, for example when we were at insuretech connect this last uh, year a lot of my conversations with carriers were in line with what can we do with this data we know it's valuable we we know that there's something in this data that no one else knows and that's the biggest uh, a whole thing about uh, the data is there's a lot of hidden data that no one is aware of yet that they look at it in a special way. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, this one little, this one little metric makes a huge difference in what X pricing claims, history, whatever it may be.
1: Right. Exactly. And he's saying he's comparing the traditional insurance to the tech companies because of course he is, he's a tech company. Mm-hmm. Um, He's saying tech companies won't, will go deeper than the global loss ratio, that they're going to monitor loss ratio per device, browser, advertising campaign. Uh, they'll compare it to people who press hard on the screen, to people who don't, uh, the people who bought the insurance at home on their commute at 4 o'clock in the morning, that they're going to look at all these data points that in, most in, traditional insurance companies aren't looking at. Well,
0: but look at someone like Progressive. Do you really think they're not tracking that? They're tracking every bit of that. And they, they track every data point, how long you're over hovering over this thing, and they go, oh, why are you hovering over that? Uh, Progressive is a good example of a data-driven company. And there's some old monolithic companies that are not doing anything with their data yet. And that's where I think that... You can't really say they're not data companies. They're just not yet data-driven companies. They're definitely, they're, they're hordes and gobs and history of data that they see over time. And now they're just getting to the point where they're learning to use that data. And one of the things that, you know, artificial intelligence and everything is going to bring to market is along the lines of, you know, neural net learning. Because if you have the neural nets that are actually looking at the data, and they're, they're running billions and trillions of permutations on that data, and they're finding something in that data, and eventually there's a, going to be a model that actually pops that out. So then you look at the, something like Lemonade, where they do have a lot of data, but they don't have anywhere near the amount of data that someone like Safeco or Travelers or Liberty or State Farm has on the market, and they're analyzing that data now. But they could be analyzing. You know, they're analyzing it now, but they're going to find that new thing later, right? Well, and Lemonade may have what eighteen months of data right now. Mm-hmm.
1: Traditional insurance have decades upon decades of data, exactly. And that
0: that data, whenever they're going through and they're they're mining that data, they're going to find something that Lemonade just doesn't have a, a click to that they're going to be able to go ah. Oh, you know, we noticed this over a trend of fifteen years, and we're able to make a change on that.
1: Right. So, what do you think insurance should be doing with their data that they're not
0: doing? <clears throat> the The first thing is marketing is understanding what your data says about the market. And I'm not always just talking about the market in general in the sense of like, you know, marketing, like what you do, like send out emails and all that. The first part is, you know, what is the state of the market? What do they need to learn? What do they need to understand? And where they need to be focusing their efforts, either with products or traditional marketing. And when you get that far, That opens up the door for the next stage of it is what is that data going to tell you about your operations? And, you know, there's ways that you can look at that data as a, um, you know, that can give you direction with how you run your company and what direction you want to do. And a lot of people have looked at and they've tried to do stuff like Lemonade and they've gone that direction of Lemonade and they've said, you know what? It's not for our business and that's totally fine, but their data has bore that out. Yeah, absolutely.
1: What about the smaller carriers who maybe don't have the resources of the larger ones? What should they do?
0: doing with their data? You know, they should be really leaning on their vendors, asking their vendors, how can you help us with our data? Because their data is valuable and they know it and they should be, you know, leveraging that data. And um, so that's where it really starts is reaching out to the vendors. And also all of the carriers as a whole, small and big, they need to be sharing this data with their agencies as well. Because their agency is their sales force. They're the ones that drive leads, drive business into these carriers, and the carriers should feel willing and they should be obligated to pass that data back to the agencies. Right. Right. And, you know, there's a a lot of talk in the insure tech world. And a lot of it comes down to, oh, bots and AI. And, you know, we hear a lot from Lemonade where they talk about these bots. And I want to remind people is that the insurance industry, the insure tech is what? You know, roughly five or six years old, really strong and going where the name's been a name. Well, there was fintech before then. It was the financial tech sector that was working on banks and credit unions and mortgage lenders and, and uh, credit cards. There was a, this revolution of finance technology well before the insure tech really took hold. I mean, this is early 2000s that this was going down. And one of the things that we saw from that industry was that there was a lot of this concern that these AI bots and all this was going to take over. And all of a sudden they're going to kick the, the loan officer out of the process. Well, here we are 2018. Do you still talk to a loan officer? Yes. Do you still do banking with people on occasion? Yes. Mm, that's questionable. Uh, but you know, you, you get to the point where you have to, uh, you know, transfer. Uh, well, you, you deal with a financial advisor. They would be yes. in that, that category as well. I do well, but you know
1: the, for the the small things like getting cash out of your account or depositing a check even with with being able to take a picture of a check with my phone and deposit that into my account, I don't have to walk into a bank at all do that all from home, but to your point, if I need a cashier's check, I'm gonna to have to go into the bank and get that
0: yeah and and just like the that the, the uh, ATM and all that has been has been solved. In the fintech world, in the insure tech world, we now have apps. We have the ability to download our ID card, make changes via an app, you know, things like that. And then Lemonade and others like Metro Mile are introducing further AI that is, uh, you know, supplementing. And that's where I really think that this is going is it's going to be a supplement to the existing channel. So, so you going- think
1: you think the insurers are going to go the way the banks did? with this tech move that instead of seeing them as competitors, they're gonna see more
0: as partners. Oh yeah. And exactly a partnership with your technology. Because if you look at, you know, you go to capital one.com, you start talking to something, 90% of that, that chat that you have with capital one is a bot or it's bot driven with a human behind it. And you get to one point too far and the bot goes, Hey, Hmm, let me think about that. And then all of a sudden you're talking to a human same thing happens with IVR systems. You call into American Airlines and you say, you know, it, it, you hear that artificial tapping in the background. That it sounds like a real rep is talking to you, but you know it's a computer. But then all of a sudden, you go, hmm, hold on, let me transfer you to someone that can take care of you. And then it goes, hi, my name is Karina with American Airlines, and there you go. Right. Absolutely. So I. I You know, there's going to be a place, but there's a huge place in the market that the insure tech and the bots and the AI are still not going to be able to touch effectively. Will they be able to help it, modify it, supplement it? Absolutely. But replace it completely? I don't see it for now.
1: So do you think there's more of an AI play than just a bot chat or chat bot?
0: Yeah. You know, a lot of of times they they lump the automated claims in with a bot because claim still needs to be handled. You know, it has to be introduced by a human. You can't just take a picture yet of your car and go, Hey, I got a wreck. Click, put your phone in your pocket without saying a word. And it does everything. They're going to want to know about the accident. They're going to ask these questions. So there's still a dialogue with the insured with the bot, with the agent, whatever it is. And so they're still going to have to have some interaction. It's just not point and click like you can do with a check. You take a check, take a picture, and it's done. And it it does all the work for you. It's not at that stage. And there's so much to insurance that is much more than checking your balance, your bank balance, or checking, you know, withdrawing cash, sending payment, whatever it may be. There's so much more because this is a – life-changing and life-altering uh, financial decision if you don't do it right. And that's what makes insurance completely different from the travel industry and uh, the banking industry. But, you know, it, it's definitely going to be a supplement. Now, AI, as you as to your point, I didn't forget, <laughs> is um, AI is still going to have a great um, ability. And really, that's where I think that AI, whenever you talk about artificial intelligence, that's uh, people lump neural net learning and, and machine learning. Uh, And, and lemonade does a lot of that where they actually have machines that are looking at data and driving that data. And, you know, whenever you're doing it to, you know, something that has a lot of variables like insurance machines can find holes because they they're looking at those problems, you know, million of times a second and they never forget once they've learned it, they go, oh, I see this little path. And a great example of that, there's a video on YouTube. I don't know if I've ever sent it to you. But it's um, a, where they trained a bot to play Super Mario. And, I think I have seen that, actually. Yeah, and what it does is it goes through, and we should leave a link on the, on the description for the podcast on this one, where this, they didn't even tell it. They just told it how to move. They didn't even tell it what the jumps were, how you died, what was good, what was bad, where you got power-ups. They just trained it to go through it as fast as it could. And it didn't take many iterations to actually figure it out because Neuronets are are trained to learn like humans. They try, you know, lots of trial and error. And whenever you apply that to a massive data set that has, you know, know, decades of data, that's – the computer is going to find something and it's going to be able to say, you can improve this process. That's where people all, a lot of times say AI they're worried about the AI because that's an artificial intelligence. That's meant to replace humans. Now, just like Elon Musk, where he's always like AI is going to, take things over and we're going to have Skynet and all this type of stuff. You know, AI can threaten more than just the insurance agent's job. It can threaten humanity. That's the always risk. That's why AI is always a bad guy. Mm-hmm. But if you actually take what makes AI great is the neural net learning behind it, making it learn like a human all of a sudden, and you apply that to data, you can come up with some fantastic data points.
1: I just like to point out it only took you till episode three to mention Elon Musk.
0: I do have a man crush on him, don't I? Slightly. Yeah, it's like you know that that guy needs to stop tweeting because that's pretty much some of my only uh, retweets that I do. <laughs> <laughs> I just you know I don't know what it is about him. It's uh, I don't know if it's uh, you know he's either an evil uh, Bond villain in, in training or he's someone that just is a visionary that actually goes out and does it. I there's a lot of visionaries that I follow that they they have great visions, they talk like the the CEO of Microsoft. I love listening to him talk and he delivers sometimes on those visions. But it's Elon Musk who is going, you know what? I created a car company and I created a, a rocket company. It's not company. profitable. <laughs> and I'm, I put the two together and I'm going to launch my red Tesla Roadster into orbit around Mars. That's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's, that's something that a kid would do. And I, I love that whole feeling of, well, you know, if I had this, uh, this rocket and I had this uh, figure – I, I did it as a kid. I would strap um little figurines like G.I. Joe's onto my model rockets and I would launch them up and in, into the air. I lost a lot of pilots, by the way. Because <laughs> <laughs> when the nose cone goes off, it's a pretty it's a pretty violent reaction that knocks that thing in. and you know, you see, wow, well he's way over there. I don't think I'm getting him back. So, I mean, it, it just harkens back to my childhood launching G.I. Joe figurines with an Estes rocket. And um, now he's doing it with a, uh, a full-sized rocket and launching his favorite car, his toy, up into outer space for orbit around Mars. I mean, that's, that's some cool stuff.
1: Yeah, well, I, w- I will agree with you on that. <laughs> I will. So I had another Thing I wanted to mention. Have you ever heard of Clear Assurance? No. What is that? It is a crowdsourced community of insurance consumers. Okay. And what is their job? Basically, where you can go and rate your insurance company mm. as a consumer.
0: And uh, what... That's interesting. Does it does it allow the, to rank your insurance agents, or is it just your carriers? I believe it's just your carriers, but what I wanted to talk about is they
1: published this week their... And I hate that they use this phrase, first annual. <laughs> it should be inaugural, but that's just the wordsmith in me. Uh, their first annual top auto home and renters insurance companies based on the feedback they have on their website. Okay. So there are only two companies that made the list for all three lines of business, any guesses as to which two? Uh,
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with for all lines of business. What were well, the lines of business?
1: Auto home and renters.
0: Auto, home, and renters. Okay, well, I'm gonna have to definitely throw in State Farm. Just that's gonna be my first guess. My second is going to be, hmm. Yeah, you know, I'll have to go with Progressive. Wrong on both. Really?
1: Yeah. And before I before I reveal more, I wanted to just point out that they set a minimum threshold that the companies had to have a hundred reviews for each line before they were eligible for the list. Interesting. Yeah. So, the, the only two companies to make all three lists was USAA. Okay, I can see that. And Geico.
0: Interesting. Now, USAA, I can see that because they've got a very loyal base for, re- for obvious reasons. I mean, I know people that are like with USAA and I'm like, you know, oh, wait, how much are you paying? Really? You're paying that much? And they're like, yeah, but I'm legacy and, you know, I like the service and that's great. I, I'm, I'm good with that. Geico is... Is interesting, but it goes back to where I think uh, Lemonade is actually playing is that Geico is pretty good about understanding their market, how to market to their people, and how to retain their people. They're also
1: really good at marketing.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because you know that's you know I secret shop a lot of carriers, and Geico just knocks it out of the park all the time. And you know there's there's a lot of people in the uh, insurance industry, especially in the IAs that are that are very against the Gecko. And there's something that everybody can learn from the gecko is you give them a call and you get on that phone call and you want, I want the cheapest, cheap, 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 cheap. Now, well, let's see what your needs are cheap. Oh, you know, really, if you have all these things, you need to have this level of coverage cheap and they'll they'll go down that path where they'll keep trying to upsell you. They're trying to get you into the right policy. And they're extremely good at it. And they eventually, they have their other prices that they can provide for lower levels of coverage, but they don't want to offer that. They really want to offer good coverage because they make more money, so on and so forth. But they will sell you the lower, but they really, really try. They're not just selling on price. And whenever you call them and then you don't buy, they are very respectful but constant with their their communication to you. So they do a really good job and people that are with them are happy. I, I don't know many people that are unequivocally unhappy with Geico. So I, I, I could buy both those answers. I was really trying to go off of, you know, volume and, and whatnot. and, you know, volume has something to do with it. It's what the consumers think. I, I know. It's. I was just. I was just going to. You know, the more customers you have, the the more likelihood you can have a higher score because people generally don't like to say bad things, especially on something that is, um, you know that that sounds like a positive survey versus just uh, you know I, I like to bitch and moan. Well,
1: Geico may have made all three, but it doesn't mean they were number one. No, no. In them. So, but just interesting. to to note that the number of views they had for car insurance geico did was
0: over 8000 on the on the result page yeah. or the, the 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 survey results that, that were published mm-hmm. absolutely that's great yeah
1: and they were number 9 out of 10 for car insurance mm mm-hmm. mhm
0: well so they, were, they they made the list barely
1: yeah barely yeah but you know they did interesting number 1 was actually a, uh, I assume a regional, because I've, I've never heard of it, New Jersey Manufacturer's Insurance.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the real risk that you run on a lot of these surveys is just to, there, there might have been a chance where people say, hey, survey us here, give good ratings and all that. So a lot of times they can be skewed, and they could have done one of those campaigns and actually driven people to it. Because, you know, if, you know, there's, I'm sure that uh, getting 100 reviews, for that organization is a lot different than getting 100 reviews from someone like Mercury or something like that. Well, the
1: way I understand they they the methodology for how they came up with this list was they actually looked at the reviews they already had on their website. They didn't solicit more or any special ones.
0: Okay. Well, no. I'm saying the carrier could oh, know about the, this yeah. website and then push push people to it.
1: Yeah, I, State Farm didn't make the list for homeowners though
0: ah, oh. and progressive. Well, it just, just depends on if you're in Florida or Texas, if you like State Farm too much, I guess. I suppose. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of and, – and that's one of the problems that I think that a lot of carriers are possibly losing the battle on is name brand share. Like that New Jersey one that you spoke of. Never heard of them in the industry, all of that type of stuff. It, it's a very niche market. And it's, it's a big win for them to be on the top of that list. It's just a lot of times though, you, uh, you've never heard of this company and then they go, well, I don't know who that is. And then it comes down to price. And a lot of these big companies have this advantage because their price is, um, is, is good. It's okay. It's not as cheap as what you could get for the same level of coverage with, with a mutual or, or a uh, smaller regional carrier. But then everybody's like, well, I like that name brand. I know that name brand. I'll take that. And so carriers need to really step up their game and you know use all of the data that we were talking about earlier to better understand their customers, how to market to those customers, find new customers, and enable their agents to actually do it as well.
1: It's interesting you bring up the, the name brand point. When I first used an independent agent – this was actually before I came to work at ITC uh, – we, we were buying a house and our realtor um, – you know, we needed home insurance and she recommended this independent agent. So we went to the independent agent and she shopped our auto along with our home insurance and she placed us with Safeco. Mm-hmm. I was a State Farm customer before that. I had no idea who Safeco was, never ever heard of them. And you're talking about one of the largest independent carriers. Mm-hmm. Never heard of them. And I was like, really? Are they going to be good? Yeah, that's that's
0: the that's the impression consumers have. And and what what needed to happen next is whenever you ask that, did your agent actually talk to you and tell you the benefits of Safeco or was the answer? Yeah, they're good. They'll, they'll be fine. It was pretty much the latter, exactly, and that's that's a problem that the carriers need to be working with their agents on is explaining the benefit of working with that carrier, and it goes beyond service. And you know, I my my dad's a great example of this is that he goes through and he's like, I'm State Farm agent for a very very long, or State Farm customer for a very long time, but. I've never had an act. I haven't had an accident in 15 years when he wrecked my car. And he, he has no, he has, you know, he drives to work, takes my mom to work, comes back, uh, you know, picks her up later in the day. That's it. That's what he does. He doesn't drive a lot of miles and all that. And he's like, why do I have to have this name brand stuff? Why can't I just go off a price? But then in the end, he wants to stick with someone that he knows and heard of. And I go. The coverage will be the same. The price is different. And but I've never heard of them. So I see that every single day. And who he's with now, he needs to possibly, uh, um, you know, get told why he should continue to stay with them and, and why they are valuable as a carrier.
1: Well, you talk a lot about how you know the reason why insurance agents won't go the way of travel agents is because buying insurance is. A much more important thing than buying an airplane ticket. Well, that also happens to apply to the name brand recognition. Why should I trust a company I never heard of that to help me when I'm in an accident, or help me if something happens to my house or my kids mm-hmm. when I've never heard of them?
0: Yeah, and you know that's that's what's always tried to be, been solved with the whole AM Best rating system, but that's never really been a consumer driven thing. They always tack that on, but it seems like the whole AM best thing, while it is a a marker and a measure of how um, stable and um, financially stable that that carrier is, it seems like it just really comes up whenever you're like, oh, well, I need to have this insurance policy with an AM best, A plus rated company. It never really drives down to consumers, so I like that Clear Assurance site. If they could actually add more to it, they could add something that is along the lines of how you know how stable is the company financially in, in and abo- above what uh, is in the um, you know the user reviews. Because the user reviews are not going to say, well, they've had some really bad loss runs. They're running hot and all that type <laughs> of stuff. But if you can actually grade your insurance company with a grade that goes beyond consumer satisfaction, I think it would be a very uh, positive thing.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll definitely put a link to the uh, announcement with the list of the top 10 car, top 10 home. And actually, it was only five for renters' uh, companies in the
0: show notes. Okay. Well, it sounds good. Ah, what are you up to this weekend?
1: Cleaning out a nursery.
0: <laughs> I think, I think I'm going to be working. So, uh, that's, uh, may, makes it, makes it easy on what, what, what is Larry doing this weekend? Working. All right. It's pretty easy. <laughs> oh, I'm looking, uh, Erica, t- you know, I've been enjoying the, doing the show. It has been a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, I've, uh, I've actually started to put notes together for like future episodes. And then now I'm having that brain explosion where of all the ideas, all, all the ideas and they're coming through and I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the clock and I'm like, Oh wow. We just passed over 30 minutes and <laughs> that was easy. And now I'm like going, but I wanted to talk about this and, and, and then I guess I'm, I guess I'm going to have to wait for next week. Yeah. Well, we'll be back. All right. Well, it's
1: been fun. It's been fun. Thanks for listening.